Hello, this is Grad School Grad, a podcast about public policy and international relations graduate programs in the United States. So for today's episode, I want to talk about what is innovative research and public policy. And in the interest of clarity, I want to highlight that when I'm talking about innovative research and public policy, I am talking about research um, that that pop, uh, creates a pop in people's eyes when they see the title and, of course, when they read the material. Um, it's the stuff that is more likely to land in popular media. Uh, by that, I mean uh, an article on a newspaper, local, national, otherwise, uh, an item to be popular on a podcast, something that would do well on YouTube, um, something to get you, yeah, so something in the popular press. And uh, which, if it's published in the popular press, obviously helps you get a job as well. And it's also the stuff that, you know, if it lands on your resume, assuming you're going for a, a professional job or a mass market facing job, it will help you as well. Now, what I'm highlighting as innovative research may, emphasis on may, also be viewed innovatively in academia. I would say more times than not, it will be. But uh, as you'll hear me kind of delineate, sometimes academia could be a little bit slow to catching up to what's popular in mass society. Um, but generally speaking, uh, it's also, it can very well be uh, on the cutting edge of what's in academia as well. Um, as for its popularity, it's kind of dependent on faculty member or professor. All right. Um, I want to highlight that. I could go ahead and talk about this because I myself was a policy grad student, but in that capacity and in others later on, I went to a lot of conferences, uh, think tank events, um, events in industry, so on so forth, where I got to really see about what was stuff that was caught people's attention uh, in the mass market um, and what was stuff that was considered, okay, this is the same old stuff we've seen before. There we go. Um, and I want to highlight this matters because uh, for most people coming out of policy school, they are going to professional roles. And it helps if your research is more eye-popping and obviously that you're you're interested in it. And even if you're going into a think tank or research role or even a PhD, it also helps gain attention if your research is uh, on the innovative side um, that has mass market appeal. All right, um, let's let's talk about what some things I think about uh, when I think about innovative research. Um, so I think the first one, easy. Uh, anything that is deals with the considerations of changes in technology and how it impacts policy and its uh, consequential effects, generally speaking, becomes really innovative just because, wow, there's like a new technology a year changing the world. And there's a lot of open questions about how it impacts the policy space. Uh, everything from, you know, social media to e-commerce to, uh, heck, who knows what's going on, Bitcoin and NFTs down the line. So, uh, yeah, if it involves technology or change in technology, uh, generally leans towards on the innovative side. Second is uh, I'm thinking about under-research groups in which their findings would be like, Oh wow! I never thought about this group that much, or but 
interesting to know, uh, research about them. So I want to clarify, there's a difference between underserved and under-researched. Because uh, what is underserved, under-researched, don't always mix and match. Um, there are some underserved groups in America that aren't well-researched. And there are other underserved groups in America that are very well-researched. It's uh, kind of like a check. It's like all over the place and was what. But that being said, um, what I just want to highlight is that there, there's lots of uh, social groups in America or population groups in America. I think that's better to say population groups in America. Some have been researched a lot uh, and others have not been. And and some, and it'd be interesting to do so. So, for example, just off the top of my head, uh, I think it'd be really interesting to do research about uh, Mormons in education. Um, you know, my understanding is on average, Mormons have a higher educational attainment uh, with all other things held constant. Um, and they have higher, I'm kind of interested to see how policy affects them given their level of uh, closeness in terms of community standing. Um, and, uh, and just how, you know, a lot of them uh, practice a life, you know, certain lifestyle. And also, uh, yeah, I'll, all things relate to that. I mean, it does happen Mormons. could be other under-researched groups. Then I'm sure there's lots out there. Okay. Third is, what I think is innovative, is reconsidering uh, age, like age-old, long-time health foundations and policy from new perspectives. So a good example of this is that, you know, in the United States, there have been very well-established uh, perspectives of what happens when policy is done and put forth uh, in a community and in terms of who benefits in terms of the majority uh, of the population community versus the minority. Uh, traditionally, uh, the majority has been uh, white America. The minority uh, has varied a little bit, but yeah, it, there, there's some variations. Uh, uh, but that being said, we live in an America that has become increasingly diverse. There's a lot more um, what's called minority majority locations in America. And it'd be interesting to see how policy put forward, um, has different impacts, same impacts, different, um, management outcomes, so on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you know, that's, I think something that's understudied, uh, and it would be really innovative to think about you now America going forward in that space. Okay. I just want to highlight, I, I know because I come from education policy background, I, I talk a lot about uh, majority minority, but come from education. There's lots of other ways you can think about this. I just want, I think these examples are illustrative. All right. Um, number four, this is the, something that, I'm sh that shocks me how little it's done, but that is bringing ideas from abroad to the U.S. Um, things I'm thinking about are like... Uh, you know, I'm thinking about how the British teach literacy in schools. They have certain policies about teaching literacy. I, I'm, I'd be interested to hear how that's done and uh, the policy impacts, and then think about what's transferable to the U.S. Um, there's lots of things Canada does um, that I think will be transferable to the U.S., so I think understanding that and uh, transferability. So you know, I think this is innovative, but like a lot of times, I don't know what it is, uh, well, actually, I do know what it is, but people first thought reactions like, no, the U.S. is different. 
for first up, we have lots of diversity that the rest of the world doesn't have. I actually, I mean, true, the U.S. does have a lot of diversity, but I think it's a little bit naive to say that the rest of the world doesn't have a level of diversity um, that uh, that is meaningful. Canada has lots of diversity. The U.K., for those who don't know, is becoming a more and more diverse country, and there's lots of uh, similarities and issues about diversity that's occurring. They manage it differently because they're a different country. But uh, that's the first stop reason, but there's also others. But it really comes down to is that, uh, yes, I do think there's lots of unique things about the U.S., but at the end of the day, I think it's not the smartest thing to just say completely ignore other countries' policy solutions. And thinking about how it applies in the U.S. setting, I think would be really innovative. All right. Um, the next stop... Uh, this would be number five. I think it'd be really innovative. Think about um, policy issues from an interdisciplinary perspective. So an example of this would be, I believe there was a policy analysis about how the Supreme Court dishes out decisions and whether their Supreme Court decisions are based upon, uh, shall we say, well-established scientific fact. I think, and I could be a little bit wrong, but I think roughly... Uh, the finding was that uh, both uh, both ideological lines of Supreme Court justices frequently made mistakes and actual awareness of well-accepted scientific fact or, or misunderstood it when they made their decisions and captured decisions uh, based off of uh, factness, so to speak. Now, that's interdisciplinary. It's legal, it's policy, and uh, it's data analytics, and it's science. And just looking at things through new academic disciplines, I think is super innovative. Uh, yeah, very eye popping and uh, yeah, just interesting to do. Um, then I would say there's number six, uh, exploration of lesser explored, I would say high impact controversial topics from an objective lens. Um, so obviously there's lots of things uh, subject to uh, some in level interpretation here of what's like, for example, controversial, what's high impact. Uh, but I think uh, a good example of something um, that hasn't really been really explored until very recently is the opioid epidemic. So I, it affects a lot of America. Uh, there's a lot of controversy about how it comes about, but between uh, the sources of causation and the solutions, from a policy angle, um, it hasn't really fully been explored. Um, you know, that's just one example, but there's other things out there and which uh, are controversial that are essentially lesser explored. Um, and you know, looking at things uh, would make impact and be innovative just by being relatively new. Um, then there's number seven, which Always, it's another one of the shockers that I think that we in America don't think about sufficiently, um, which is the application of policy to make impact. So how, how do you execute policy? I think a lot of times um, in policy school, they talk a lot about uh, application. Uh, they talk about policy in terms of data, in terms of you know, which solution is better, A or B. Um, and when it comes to application management, it's really about uh, like passing laws or formal things like how, how does the governor get things in action. But I think there's a lot to be said about just managing a program, a public policy program, 
that is underappreciated too often. Um, and so I think a good example of this would be like, um, how are cities managing to get fresh food into urban areas? Some cities are doing well. Some cities are not doing as well. I think it'd be really innovative to look at you know, what works well, what doesn't, and what are some trends. And lastly is, I think it would be uh, really innovative, and this would be number eight, to think about new social dynamics. There's lots of new social dynamics out there. I'll just give an easy one, the pandemic. The pandemic essentially made America a mega laboratory to think about things. And look, looking at uh, how the pandemic has shaped American society in terms of policy, I think it would be crazy interesting um, and innovative. All right, um, so that's like some examples, some f- ways I think about what's innovative policy research. Um, then another thing I want to talk about is why is it that what is, you know, I call innovative, and I think broadly could be appreciated as innovative, is not always in line with what excites professors. And I think what really comes down to is why one highlights the concept of familiarity bias. And what it is is that I've seen a minority professors, uh, I want to say it's a minority professors, but they're there. They're usually a strong contingent. I jokingly refer to them as the old guard, but I want to preface that they are actually of all ages. Um, some of the more innovative professors I've seen are actually older, but uh, they have all ages, all levels of tenure. Um, but what I see a lot of times that they just like to lean towards what they like, what they know. And things too deviated upon what they're familiar with there's, creates a level of discomfort. Um, so what the masses would call innovative, they're kind of disinclined with. And so that's just the first stop. But I, I want to highlight how there's some other qualities that might challenge innovation uh, from the professor perspective. So first is quant methods. Um, first of all, I think it's extremely important, if not almost always preferable and desirable, to have strong, robust quant methods in every single research, uh, to the extent that's possible, of course. But what I have seen is um, some professors being obsessive about having unnecessarily creative, extensive, or elaborate quant methods for the sake of being extensive and elaborate and having complexity that you don't need, but just, you know, they, they, the complexity appeals to them because a lot of professors, faculty members, researchers tend to be quant people and like to be wowed by quant methods. Um, so yeah, I, I, it was just so interesting to hear professors that I've had talk about research. They didn't really, a lot of times, um, sometimes they talk more about the research methods used rather than the actual potential impact of a research. And that was just very interesting to me that no, that was the case. Um, so again, I think it matters. It's about doing it right. But at a certain point, an excess is excess beyond once past uh, a standard litmus test. Okay, then is robustness and effort. So this is not about complexity, but just number of quant and qualitative methods attempted. So yes, there is something to be said about research should be sufficiently robust. But again, once you pass the line of robustness, um, you know, having so many more extra interviews 
so many more extra surveys, so many more uh, extra uh, observations. You know, there's diminishing returns. But what I have noticed is that uh, there's some professors out there who, again, like it's kind of like quant, like robustness for the sake of robustness, whether it's really important or not. And again, and when that happens, you know, cuts down on resources available, time available, and research tends to be less innovative. Um, then there's a thematic issue: is that I I noticed that there is uh, inclination to have uh, minor variations of well-established research that has been relatively recently refreshed, but just have one minor change and. What it comes down to is that it's illustrating a well-known trend in like basically a hundred different ways with just one minor twist. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I understand why professors like that. Again, it's a familiarity bias. Now they know something. There's some minor thing they would be curious about if they took a very minor, uh, if a student, a grad student, took a my uh, took into consideration a minor variable something like that. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a complete waste of time, but look, it's it's basically working off a foundation of very well-established research, lots of legacy research, and it's not really getting at that much new. But I've seen some professors just nudge their grad students that way because that's what they know and that's what they're comfortable with, and it's it might be easy to grade. So, um, But that, I think, stifles innovation to a certain extent. Um, the next is, and I actually see this a lot, um, both students and professors, but, uh, I think there's more often a comfort with exploring issues than exploring solutions. Um, I think part of this is because a lot of times social science professors and policy professors, um, find it generally easier to get data for the issues. Uh, I'm, and also, it's easier to understand issues. When the moment you get into solutions, you get into complexity of systems, program management, um, and so, and that's the area uh, that I would say a lot of social science professors are not as familiar or comfortable with. And being a solutions focused, again, I, there are a lot of solutions research out there by social science, science uh, people and, and in policy. But uh, I would say I see way more focused on identifying the issue and then hypothetically proposing some solutions rather than doing a real solution evaluation um, out there or comparison between XYZ solutions uh, to make a solution recommendation uh, grounded upon uh, data. Uh, I'm not saying it does happen. It happens a lot. I'm just saying I feel greater comfort with issues, uh, evaluating issues or finding issues. Um, then the last thing is I see a fair amount of research um, that is, let's just say, fairly obvious observations. Things like um, exploration of if someone has more disposable income, if they get government payments, well... Uh, if they get more government payment, they're most likely to have disposable income and not less disposable income. It's just very obvious things that are like, I mean, 
I get it. It's easy to research. You, you get a paper done. You get check the box on research. But it's just not innovative. It's not going to be eye-popping whatsoever. And, yeah, I mean, at, at a certain point, you know, you don't know where your outcomes will be. But just the question of itself is just not anything too exciting. There might be time and place for it. But, again, you're not going to get any kudos for being the innovative research person. So I want to wrap up with why does it matter to have innovative research versus less than exciting research. And it really comes down to uh, individually, you know, it helps you get attention for a job, for uh, awareness of whatever your purposes might be, um, cocktail parties. But also there's a lot to be said that it's innovative stuff that lends to social impact uh, more often than not. Um, it's that thing that makes people think about new ideas, that spur new thinking. That also works your brain to be a critical thinker. And a lot of less innovative stuff, don't get me wrong, some of them have a time and place for it. Some of them are just refreshes that need to be done. But um, more often than not, I view it's just uh, taking the easy way uh, to please a professor or just check the box on doing some research. Um, so... Yeah, ultimately, that's my take. I uh, hope this is helpful. Maybe inspired you to do some innovative research. And looking forward to making more content. Bye.